0: Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 72. Today, my guest is Kim McPherson. I've been wanting to interview Kim since I started the podcast over three years ago. He's a Texas wine trailblazer and son of the late Doc McPherson, a Texas wine pioneer. He was one of the greats, and he grew grapes in West Texas in the 1960s when nobody else was doing it. Kim has made his own mark on the Texas wine industry, first as a winemaker at other wineries and now at his own place, McPherson Cellars. He's forged into distribution. He's problem-solved with growers in important ways. He's been recognized twice as a semifinalist in the James Beard Awards for Best Wine Beer or Spirits Producer, and he's just a ton of fun. First, I'll share some Texas wine news, so let's get right to it. Whether you're a regular listener or tuning in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. Well, the Washington Post is one of a dwindling number of American newspapers that have a regular wine column. Since 2008, Dave McIntyre has been the Post wine columnist, and it was a pleasure to get to know him last summer. We both judged at the Finger Lakes International Wine Competition, and of course I encouraged him to visit the Texas wine country. Well, it turns out that Denise Clark of Texas Fine Wine had already invited him, and he visited during October. He came to the Texas Hill Country to continue his exploration of Texas wines, and his article was just published in the Washington Post. It's called, With Hard Work and Luck, Texas Hill Country Emerges as a Wine Region. Dave said he visited 11 wineries in the Hill Country and, quote, I got a sense of a young, confident wine region, eager to tell the rest of the world its story, end quote. Dave tells the Texas wine story by sharing about some of the crazy weather events, from Halloween Massacre to Snowpocalypse. In Texas, he also discovered a rollicking release party at Cibonet, lots of experimentation and innovation at multiple locations. And he met winemakers who were weary from their trips back and forth to the Texas High Plains. He says, in general, we can expect lush, full-bodied whites from Rhone varieties, such as Viognier and Roussan, with some good Sauvignon Blanc and Chenin Blanc as well. He said reds tend to be bold and mouth-filling. They give a sense of warmth from the climate without being hot in terms of alcohol. And he shared a list of his favorite wines from the trip, and they include the Adega Vino, Viognier Reserve, the Bending Branch to Knot from Talent Vineyards, Calais Wineries Simeon, the Dukeman Family Alianico from Oswald Vineyards, French Connection Wines La Connection Rosé, Inwood Estates Magnum, the Pebble Rock Cellars Sagrantino, Peternalis Cellars Tempranillo from Lehe Vineyards, Cibonet Cellars Merlot, and Spicewood Vineyards Tandem Red Blend. A link to his story appears in the show notes. While well, the Texas Wine and Grape Growers Association's Lone Star International Wine Competition just announced the results of the 2023 competition, so, congratulations to all of those winners. Just a few of the many: the Grand Star White Wine was the 2022 Yano Estacado Moscato. The Grand Star Red was the 2018 Messina Hoff Paolo Sagrantino, and the Grand Star Fortified Wine was the Slate Theory Winery's The Mentalist, which is a Madeira-style wine. William Chris Wine Company has released its Wanderer Series 4, a new red blend that supports the Southern Smoke Foundation. For four years in a row now, William Chris has released a wine in conjunction with a high-visibility partner to benefit a charity. This year, the partner is Patrick Olds from MML Hospitality. He helped with the blending. And proceeds from this effort go to support Southern Smoke Foundation's initiative around mental health. The blend for this year is Cabernet Sauvignon, Cinsault, and Mourvèdre in more or less equal parts, and it comes from two different vineyards, La Pradera Vineyard in the High Plains and Foval Family Vineyard in the Texas Hill Country. Speaking of doing charitable things, I've mentioned Flavory Texas or Flavory TX before. That's the group that's developing a culinary educational facility in the Hill Country. It's going to be located at the Hill Country University Center there in Fredericksburg. Well, Flavory Texas supports Texas Tech viticulture and enology students, as well as Fredericksburg High School culinary arts students. And you can support them by attending their annual holiday prelude on November the 14th. A number of wineries will be pouring there, so you can expect some great wine, food, music, and a kickstart to your holiday merriment. I hope to see some podcast listeners at events in the next week. First, at the Texas Wine Jam at Vinovium. It's November 4th and 5th. I'll be there on Sunday, the 5th, leading a panel with the Texas Wine Growers Group. And then on Monday, November the 6th, the Texas Hill Country Wineries Roadshow will be in Fort Worth at Tannehill's Tavern and Music Hall. Tickets for both of these events are still on sale, so if you're listening to this soon after it's released, check out the show notes and grab your tickets before it's too late. And finally, just a reminder that I'm organizing a trip to France in April 2024. It's designed especially for people who are excited about Texas wine and want to see some of the places where many grapes that do well in Texas originate. We'll be spending 10 days exploring southern France from Marseille to Bordeaux, and we'll visit a good number of wineries and vineyards. We'll enjoy the foods of each region and see some important cultural sites, too. If that sounds like something you'd like to do, email me for more information or check out my blog post on France2024 at thisistexaswine.com. And don't wait because the trip is already halfway sold out. Find the links to all of these stories in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. There are only a few people I'd actually hop on a plane to go interview, but Kim McPherson tops that list. It was my pleasure to sit down with Kim and get some of his thoughts about the current state of the Texas wine industry. Kim McPherson's dad, Doc, was a Texas Tech professor who started growing an experimental vineyard in Lubbock in the 1960s. Along with his business partner, Bob Reed, Doc established Yano Estacado Winery in 1976. It was one of the first post-prohibition wineries in Texas. Doc passed away in 2014 and is remembered as one of the pioneers of the Texas wine industry. Well, Kim is one of Doc's three sons, and Kim graduated from Texas Tech with a food science degree and then went to UC Davis to study winemaking. He worked in Napa Valley for a while before he came back to Lubbock as the winemaker for Llano Estacado and then for Caprock Winery and then eventually started McPherson Cellars in 2000 as a tribute to his father. You'll hear Kim talk about his wife, Sylvia, who owns La Diosa Cellars, which is an excellent Spanish restaurant right across the street from the McPherson Winery location in downtown Lubbock. He mentions his two daughters, one of whom is Cassie, an advanced sommelier who lives and works in Napa, but also makes some Texas wine, and also his brother, John, who's a winemaker in Temecula and also winemaker for Carter Creek Winery in the Texas Hill Country. So that's just a little background so that you can jump right in to this interview with Kim McPherson. When I say your name, I feel like I'm mispronouncing it, but I say McPherson, but you say McPherson.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, it's McPherson, but Everybody says MacPherson, so we just let it go. My little brother's out in California. They call him MacPherson, and he's, he just gave up. Okay. So basically, some people say MacPherson. I say MacPherson.
0: Okay. And I've heard people call you K-Mac. K-Mac. What other yeah. nicknames do you have?
1: Pappy. That's a good one. <laughs> uh,
0: K-Mac, Mac. That's about it. Okay. Well, I'll just call you Kim. Okay. Well, I know that we are at mid October right now, but I hear you guys are still receiving grapes.
1: Got in 10 and a half tons today.
0: That's a very long harvest season, isn't it?
1: It is. But we had sort of a weird summer.
0: Yeah. Tell me about this vintage.
1: Well, the first of the summer, June, we had a ton of rain. I mean, probably four and five inches in places, six. Had a little hail. Uh, one of my big growers, Lehay, got probably 85, 90 percent held out. There were some other growers that I didn't know about that got held out. And uh, the rest of the people they weren't touched. So then we had a lot of moisture. and then starting in about I guess mid-July, first week in July, big high pressure system sets in. It's hot, 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 hot. 107, 105, and that lasts all the way up to probably about the last week in August. And Then we get some more big rains, and we've had some more big rains. And we even had a little hail in there. In fact, one of our growers, the Baird family, they were getting ready to pick their Tempranillo, got completely hailed out. I mean, two days before they were picking it. Some microburst hit it, and so boom. So anyway, these big guys like Lehigh and all that, usually they have some sort of crop insurance. Mm -hmm. So it's not not bad. Now then, having said that, everybody freaked out when he got held out and some other people got held out. Like, there's not going to be enough fruit. Well, no, that wasn't right either. There was a a ton of fruit. Yeah. In fact, uh, there was a lot of fruit laid on the ground this year which is not what I like to see.
0: No, I hate to hear that.
1: Yes. So uh, crop-wise, I mean, sugar-wise, uh, pretty decent. Then in the heat spell at the last of it, the sugars were not rising. They were not coming up. And so we just let it sit, sit, and sit. And finally, you know, then the fruit started to look like, you know, it was getting a little raisiny. And anyway, we I'm not big on alcohols. I mean, big alcohol. so... We picked ours and uh, we did okay. I think you know if we were getting twenty three or twenty four, good shape. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what this was today, but it was two blocks of, of more fed, and it looked pretty good. Good. So.
0: So you don't have to dramatically change what you had planned for no, it. No. Good.
1: So. So for us, we 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 look good. Everything looked good.
0: And I heard it was a big crop across the state. So, did you end up with more fruit than you anticipated? Uh, you-
1: well, <laughs> a little bit. You know, we have our growers, and we say, well, "What do we get?" Well, you can get ten tons; they'll bring in twelve. You know, we want eight tons; they'll bring in ten tons. So, we were getting a little bit over, mm-hmm. uh, not much, but some of them were right on the numbers. Some of them were like, oh, "I got thirteen tons." Yeah, we'll take it. Mm-hmm. But- you know, we probably got about, I'm going to say, 15 or 16 tons over. But, you know, I've never bitched about fruit because back in the day, I couldn't get fruit. So, you know, it's like it's like that old saying that Freak Brothers used to say, in times of dope, there's no money. In times of money, there's no dope. Remember that? And that's kind of the way it's been with grapes. And it's like, I do not... I don't complain,
0: right? Well, with as many new wineries as there are, and I, I think at least hypothetically, people want Texas fruit, and yet you said that they had to drop a bunch of fruit this year that never found a home. Mm-hmm. What's the? What is the solution to that?
1: Well, I don't know. You know, you, you talk about e- these little wineries, and there's a bunch of them. Is that? I don't know if they realize if there's there's not any communication. If like if there was fruit dropped, you know what I'm saying? Um, Lehe dropped that fruit, and I don't know, maybe there was five or six wineries that knew about it. And then these little guys, uh, in fact, there was somebody, I think it was Jerry Weaver telling me, then they found out he dropped the fruit. And he said, well, he said, well, I got a phone. You know, and that, you see, they they don't realize, Yeah. you know.
0: I need a little better communication system Yes, and somehow. then we
1: had people call us that I've never even heard of. You know, like Kim. Hey, uh, you know, we got uh, eight tons of temperine. I'm going. Mm, sorry, uh, You know, where have you been selling it before? Right. I don't know. So it's a, It's kind of an odd thing. Uh huh. Spencer and I, my winemaker, uh, we've we set up a little company this year to sort of help the growers. It's all about me helping the growers because without the growers. You know, this is a business for me. This isn't a hobby. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you go down there and you have mom and pops. It's sort of like, well, I'm retired. I'm going to do this. I didn't do that. So I have to have the fruit. So we set up a thing, and I think we're going to continue doing this. We leased a space at a winery down here, a custom crush house. And what we did was we pressed out whites and rosés for guys. We had our guy there. And uh, we took care of the whole thing, and, and, and people really liked it because you know, we think we're very professional. And it turned out better than we thought. So we're looking at building a facility over here just to do that. It'll be like a cotton gin. No, we're not fermenting any grapes. You know, that's, that's not my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are going to process fruit quicker because these growers like to pick in gondolas, the big gondolas, it's easier for them. They save on labor. But then, you know, most of the people down in Fredericksburg, they can't handle gondolas, so they have to have the little bins. So we're going to do press-out of juice for whites and rosés, and then we're going to transfer the red grapes to bins for them. And either they can take it then or they can put it in a chill room. for. Got to be gone in three days. And I... it actually gets cold-soaked, so it's really nice.
0: And what what problem are you solving in that? As far as well, um, getting the quality? growers,
1: making it easier on the growers, mm-hmm. because they complain a lot, and they do complain a lot. They complain a lot about, you know, you go to Lehigh, and or you even go to farmhouse. She'll have eight different wineries bins there, and it's sort of like you know a bin problem. And you got my bins, I got some of your bins, and at the end of the day. That would just be a bin storage place over here for them, so to speak. And they get their bins. We load their bins up. We've been doing it two years here for Brennan and Tornilock. They buy fruit from Lehay. He just brings it here the day, I mean, it's picked three hours ago. He brings it over here. We dump it into our hopper. It goes up. We put their bins underneath there, fill them up. They're on the truck. They're gone in an hour. It's just, it's better fruit. It's better for everybody. That's what we were trying to do. Mm
0: -hmm. When you were telling me about this on the phone the other day, you said that you were going to float and enzyme it. Yeah. What does that mean?
1: Well, the Italians invented a a pump that uh, you use gelatin and nitrogen, and really the warmer the juice, the better it works. So when this juice comes in, you hook this pump up. After you've pressed out the juice and you hook this pump up, and you hook nitrogen up to it, and you use a little bit of gelatin, and all the leaves float to the top. And so down at the bottom, it's very clear juice. Okay. And you just rack off the bottom, and then the juice is beautiful. Nice. So you rack that, go to another tank. Now then, these, these French companies and Italian companies, they have have an enzyme now. They've always had this enzyme, but... Now you can add that enzyme at the crusher, at the juice pan, and by the time you're through the next day, it's, it's clear too. Hmm. So you have two choices. Sometimes float doesn't work. If you've got any kind of fermentation in it, it won't work. So if the fruit's been sitting there and it's fermenting, you got to use the enzymes. But we clarify the juice. And then these guys pick it up either in a tanker, or in these totes, and they love it. It's chilled, boom. That's great. And it also, you know, just quality-wise, it just helps. Instead of transferring white grapes on skins down there, no, that's, I wouldn't do that. Yeah.
0: So was somebody else doing this before, and you've moved into this space?
1: Well, that's what these custom houses were supposed to be doing, but, you know, who's running the ship? I see. See, whenever we put out the word that Spencer and I were running it, Macpherson, then people said, "All right, we'll try it one more time," and we got great, you know, results because you know what? We don't. We didn't fool around. Mm We said, "Come get your juice." We got to get it out of here. And they, you know,
0: you did what you said you were going to do. Yeah, yeah. So when I was here last summer, you said I have such an exciting announcement pending. But I can't tell you yet. And if this happens, it's going to be the biggest thing ever. Was that this project? Well, it was a project project
1: with Gallo. Okay. And they, uh, I don't know if they killed it. Let's just say they put on a hiatus for we don't know how long. Okay. But it was a great idea about blending wines from all over and making a great American blend. But it was just, I think, logistically, it was too Mm. much. But it was a great idea.
0: So stay tuned on that, maybe. Yeah,
1: stay tuned.
0: Tell me about what your day looks like these days, because you you referred to Spencer as your winemaker. So, are you the executive winemaker now? Yeah,
1: I guess if you want to call it that. I mean, we're both winemakers, but I found out that it's it's better to let one guy kind of run the show than getting two guys involved, and then you crisscross and crisscross, and then finally you crash. And said, I thought I told, I thought you said he was going to do that. I thought they were going to pick that, and it didn't. You know, it's better for me to go, all right, Spencer, what are we doing today? <laughs> and it's like, oh, Kim, all right, we're getting this and this. And then I'll say, okay. And then sometimes I have to go in there and I go, why are you doing it like this? And he'll go, oh, I should have, yeah, we should have done it like this. Or So it works. It's better for us to have one leader.
0: Yeah. He's been with you a while.
1: He's been 10 years. Okay. And they own their own label. They own the uh, Windblown.
0: Okay, nice. My guys. The seller guys?
1: The seller guys on windblown. Excellent. So.
0: What does that free you up to do if he's running the <laughs> shots?
1: Well, uh, I say I, I do administrative work now. <laughs> uh, try to come up with new ideas, and uh, I do labels now. I do stuff like that, and uh, I don't know, uh, I still go out and sell wine. I'm going next week to the East Coast to do my semi-annual sales trip. Uh, nobody seems to want to do it. Well, Thomas may do it one day, but Spencer, you want to do that? No. <laughs> so I do that. Uh, you know, I just, I help down there too. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a cleanup guy.
0: That's fine. <laughs> that's, that's good, important work too.
1: Uh, you know... It's like one day, you know, I was picking up trash out there, and one of my—I go—I do this every day. I pick up trash from the place, and one of my growers said, "Oh, you got a promotion?" I said, "Yeah." <laughs> so uh, you know, do that. And I don't know, just take care of stuff.
0: You mentioned going to the East Coast, and you're one of the few winemakers in Texas that actually has some distribution outside of the state, just and I went know that
1: into that's... New York and New Jersey.
0: Okay. Well, I read that you said that your dad, that was important to your dad, that Texas wine be known outside the borders right. of our state. Can you talk about how you've gone about that and the opportunities that are still there for Texas wineries?
1: Well, you know, to, to do that, you're have to, you going to have to give up some stuff, and some people don't want to do that. Like, they don't want to give up on the pricing. They don't want to give up on this. I want to make this. I want to make that. Um, right now, I can tell you, and I don't do Cabernet or Merlot or Chardonnay. I don't do any of the Randall, or you know, strawberry, vanilla, chocolate. Don't do those. And I know that if I went to the West East Coast right now and had a Cabernet, they probably wouldn't take it. Now, if it's a Brevet or a Carignan, all day long. Anything that's different, plus, you know, what we should be doing here. And – and those varieties, Tempranillo, take it all, to- Sangiovese, they love it. Uh, uh, any Anything like that. In, the, in my block series, they, they took a lot of the Alicante Boucher. Mm. Uh, I've got a Dolcetto coming out. That's probably going to be a big thing for them too. I made a natural wine for these guys back east, took all that. Uh, so it's just different things that we have to kind of hang our hat on to make I mean if I took a merlot and a cabernet over there I probably wouldn't get much mm-hmm. much play on it.
0: Well, you've you have had to change your pricing structure to be in distribution, but why is it important that you do that?
1: Because I I want it on the, I want it to be sold. I want it to get in people's hands. I want it to, you know, for them to taste a, a Texas wine. And and I relied heavily on Andrew Stover like, all right, Andrew, here's what I've got, and here's what we sell it here for. Sent him all these new block series reds. He f- fell head over heels in them. But, you know, what can we do over there to make this work? Can you do this pricing or we can do this? Yes. And I do that because, uh, you know, Kim, we probably won't have a lot of luck doing this selling it like this and this. I said, well, I don't want to do that you know i'll make up the difference down here in the tasting room so it's all about getting the price on the shelf for for restaurants that they will actually you know love this wine and push it and there's i've got a lot of shops back there and i I'll know i'll go see a bunch of them that you know they they love the wine and they push it
0: and who's andrew
1: Andrew Stover is the marketing and sales director for Sema distributing in Maryland okay He's he was one of those forty under forty or whatever. Then line enthusiasts yeah. do. He's been that nice. He's uh, he's a good guy. And he's very he's energized. So he he's does come a great job. To yeah,
0: be a Texas wine fanatic, huh? Mm-hmm. Good.
1: So that's what we're looking. I look forward to this trip. We hadn't done it since COVID. Okay. You know we were in South Carolina. And we were doing pretty good there. Well, I say good. I've probably doing 300 cases a year, which I thought was pretty good. And my wholesaler died. This old guy, he had this small wholesaler house, real knowledgeable. And his son didn't want it, so they just kind of closed it down. And so we've been without a wholesaler there. and I hadn't been back. I went back for the Charleston Wine and Food Festival, and uh, we thought we found some people. And when we got on the plane, that was March 20th, the day the pandemic hit. 2020, yeah. Yeah. So it just sort of, we've done nothing since. Hmm. But we've just opened up in New York and New Jersey. We just sent wine there to a wholesaler. The guy came out here, and uh, the broker, little broker. So that's got some potential.
0: What is the key to getting more Texas wines priced (laughs) at a point where distribution wants to pick them up and it makes sense. Like, is it having more acreage planted and economies of scale that way?
1: No, I I think it's a, a big thing that these wholesalers look at nowadays is the quality to price ratio, which in this state, we are still very wide apart on the quality and price ratio. So they taste the wines. And... Then they look at the price, and then they go, mm, "No can do mm-hmm. for what they think the quality is when we sent we sent two cases of wine to New Jersey, they wanted you know try everything, and uh they came back and they were blown away, and they picked up i don't know eight wines out of the deal, seven or eight and and it was all about these wines are incredible. And then we worked on the pricing and I said, well, what do we need to do to make these things work? And that's what we do. Cause they have to pay the freight from here. And it's kind of weird because it's not in California and they load up one big truck and cut. No, we have to go over here to our warehouse. And then if they order it in the summer, like SEMA does every now and then we have to wrap it with insulation stuff and do that. We we don't like to do that, but sometimes we have to because they run out of wine. Interesting. So it's it's a quality thing too. Mm-hmm. It's all about you know what what we're what they're looking at.
0: I found this old book about Texas wine. It came out in 2007. It was before this facility opened. Mm-hmm. This guy Wes Marshall. Yeah. And Wes you had Marshall. a couple quotes in there, and one of them kind of semi relates to what we're talking about. That I want to see if you still think this. Um, you said, warm climate fruit doesn't age well. If you are really good, it lasts maybe three to five years. Instead of trying to sell big, expensive wines, we should be making 8 to $15 wines and be happy. Then if a big, incredible wine comes, so be it.
1: Yeah, but it's a little more than that now, probably 15 to, oh, I'd say 15 to 25, yeah. Warm climate wines will age better, but... They're not like known to like cabernets. I mean, you can. I mean, I don't know. You can find maybe a Bandol morved that's twenty years old, but is it tired? Maybe. I'm I'm in that thing about I don't fall in love with them. I want you to drink them. I mean, uh, you know, collecting wines. Maybe what one or two percent of the American public.
0: If that, yeah.
1: And, and there's no money in that for for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I have. I want to move the wines. I w- I want to get it out there. And so we make wines. I think that are very uh, approachable. Now you're right. Yeah. Every now and then we you know we've done this block series, and man, I opened that uh, that nineteen carignan. That what is that? Four years old. Things are still incredible. So, but it's a hundred percent. But we you know we did. St- Block series picked that, but day in day out, no, we can make great reds for the, for the money. I mean, you know we do we do the, the can I mention people's names yeah, yeah we do you know, we do the Federalists for the Terlato group. We were doing TX for Gallo, still under contract. Uh, they put a hiatus on that whole project. That's what they were telling us, I don't know. But TX is still there, but we're not making it right now. Hmm. But what I'm saying is those wines, we did that for six six years. And those were very approachable wines. And, uh, you know, that's what I think we ought to be looking at. And then, you know, I think people get all whacked out because I say we ought to only have like 10 or 12 varieties up here. And then that's what we hang our hat on in Texas. Uh, I don't know. We just sometimes it's it's like in Oregon, you know. Roland Souls, a good friend of mine, he had Rocco, he had Argyle, the guy's incredible winemaker, Pinot Noir. You know, he told me back in uh, back in like two thousand four, maybe can't remember, that Oregon was kind of doing the same thing. They were growing everything, and they got together and said, "Look, we need to do something." that everybody's on the same, and they did it. And so, you know, they grow other stuff in other parts of Oregon, but Oregon's famous for what? Pinot Noir, Chardonnay now, Pinot Blanc, Pinot Gris, boom. That's what I think we could do here with certain varieties, and we just...
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to be one or two either, I think... You know, I was just at the Texom conference, and I did a luncheon with the Oregon Wine Board, and they had a dozen wines on the table, and only two were Pinot Noir. And it's because now they want people to realize there's actually more to Oregon than See, they than kind of went the other way. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in a restaurant wine list... They may say, "Well, sure, we have our, you know, one Oregon Pinot Noir, one Oregon Chardonnay or Pinot Gris, but then that's it." And the Oregon's like trying to say, "No, but we have all this other great stuff." So
1: from where it's hot, but now they're like, they're doing Chardonnays now, and there's yeah, yeah, really pretty. So,
0: well, I know that you're big in Rhone varieties, some Italian, some Spanish.
1: Well, the Spanish and the Rhone kind of intermix because. Some people say native to Spain, you know, so.
0: But not Cabernet Sauvignon. That no. is not on your list. No. And why is that?
1: Well, I don't, I just don't think that this is the right growing uh, climate for it. First off, I think it's still too hot. Uh, you know, Tony Soder, another great Oregon, Pinot Noir guy, you know, he was one of, a consultant for us when I was out at Caprock and. So he got me onto the warm climate bus and you know he was questioning why we make so much cab and you know why we were doing this and I was like because I guess that's what people want but it's not really what we do well here mm-hmm. one of my dad's favorite grapes was Kerrigan and he planted it out in front of Yano and uh, you know it did fairly well and he loved Grenache and at the end of the day, though, my little brother got him into San Giovase, <laughs> and so we've made a name for that. Which San Giovese loves this climate for some reason. Uh, you get great flavors, you get decent color. On some years, you get great color, depending on the clone that you use. And uh, you know, it's it's really nice. Mm-hmm. And we sell out every year, and I only do maybe twelve to fourteen hundred cases. And uh, we're in the process of we're going to tear out all the Sagmore Vineyard and plant just six acres of Sangiovese, so just for the estate bottling mm-hmm. for the reserve. So how
0: many acres has it been?
1: It's 14 acres over okay. there. So that's the ground zero where Doc put everything mm-hmm. in. But yeah, back in the day, the you know, I'm going to say this, back in the late 70s, It was actually you could do a decent chardonnay here because it got colder at night and you could do a decent cab but as it warms up it just you know it's just like bordeaux looking at tempranillo i don't know it's like people come here you have cabernet no you go to napa it still works there sonoma i think it works very well there uh Merlot, Washington. Washington State has good cabs, too. Mm-hmm.
0: The one thing that you haven't done is, is that I can tell is reduce the number of wines you're making. Like oh, you have- we already
1: have. Well, okay, there's a caveat to that. I have a wine club. If I was going to have a wine club, then by gosh, my wine club's going to get funky stuff. <laughs> and if it just means that Spencer and I have to make 300 cases of it each, so be it. That may never hit the that may never hit the shelves. Probably won't. Mm-hmm. On on that kind of a thing, uh, I like to have that for restaurant only wine club and the, and the two wine tasting rooms I have. Uh, Four point oh or Texas T- Wine Run Collective. collective. Now, yeah. And uh, you know when they have a wine club thing, it's it's like you know I have to do get at least one hundred and fifty cases for that. So if we do eighty for this one, and then you leaves you like a pallet and a half to go to restaurant only. Mm-hmm. And they kind of like that. That's, you know, they, they don't see it anywhere. Right. And it, and it wouldn't do anybody any good to have a pallet of wine, like specs or something. I mean, maybe if they had it in the two or three stores, yeah. and, that, and I don't know. And sometimes we don't even do 300 cases.
0: I was just surprised when I came recently, and I did the reserve tasting. My husband did the standard tasting, and that was just like a fraction of the total wines. And, and also, I've never seen any of the ones that we tasted in distribution.
1: No, you won't. Uh, I can't overwhelm Republic like that. In <laughs> fact, we have done, we've we've paired everything down to five core wines for grocery everything, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, probably the best thing. Uh, now that we have a tier that we do, the we do Sangiovese, Trecolore, La herencia Viognier, and Rosé. Is that five? Yes. And those will be in, and it's easier for grocery. They can line them out. And uh, then we have another tier that we like to think that would kind of go into, I don't know, maybe smaller wine shops and you know your Whole Foods and Central Markets where we do like 500 cases. Like that's Albarino, that's uh, Pick Pool uh, Reserve Ruusan, uh Rousan. You know, there's only like four of those, mm-hmm. and then the rest of it is weird stuff. Like we did a Trebbiano for the first time. I oh, did too. Yeah, you should have. It's incredible. Mm. I put a whole new label on it. See, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a, 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 you'll see the label. It's a painting from the Prada in Spain, hmm. and they let me use it for 450 bucks <laughs> for two way. years, okay. and they gave me the artwork, and it turned out beautiful. Huh. Uh, you know, then I do, that, I do that hermitage. I call it a hermitage. I don't call it a hermitage on the label, but it's my Marsan Rousselon
0: And that has a that separate was, that was label. A,
1: so you know what? That, yeah, that's the label that Spencer and I came with. Half the people love it, half the people hate it. And I said, well, I love it. Yeah. But that was a wine that Spencer comes in and he goes, gosh, Kim, we got a little bit of Marsan left. we got this Roussain left. I said, well, let's make a hermitage for the wine club. Boom. No, it took off. See, this is what happens sometimes. You're going to make that again, you got to make it again. And <laughs> hey, we've been making it now for three years. Hmm. We well, always yeah, make sure. the reserve Roussan. We do 250 cases of that. You may see that on some restaurants. And so we've kind of set this up, and Thomas is working on this, on small lots like this, on-premise only. So it's like we had that Rosé of Merved, my Domain Tempier, you know, that I always wanted to make a Rosé of Merved and we got to that's so great. anyway, that's...
0: That's a lot of different moving pieces. And so what might your case production be like last year?
1: Of all McPherson? Uh-huh. Probably 12,000 cases.
0: Okay. And I don't know if you want to talk about the clients that you consult with, but you, you have a pretty busy consulting schedule as well.
1: Well, we don't consult.
0: Or, or what do you call it?
1: <laughs> we actually make them wives. Yeah. So,
0: so, you're just a winemaker of record for other labels.
1: Well, we we have a lot of house wines for stuff for people. Not a lot, but we do the Nicolette over here and yeah. we do Cochinelle and Marfa.
0: I have that there. this um,
1: spring. James is, he ran out again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds like a good excuse to well, a that. Well, it is.
1: In fact, he's, I think he was up here last week. I saw it on the board and I keep telling him, I said, Jones, you, you just, you know, we don't keep this over here in a little thing. When we bottle it, we bottle it. So next time you need to, because he's in district. I don't know if he's in district. I don't know what he does with it, but anyway.
0: Yeah, you up your order.
1: Yeah, up your order. Uh, we do uh, my wife's Sangria. That goes without saying because that's her winery. That is a winery over there, but it's an alternating bond here. Uh, who else do we make wine for? Oh, a couple of little wineries in Dallas okay. checkered pass uh cross timbers we've done cross timbers forever. You know I mm-hmm. you know when I say it we do maybe three hundred cases mm-hmm. and they I think they have other wine made by other people, but it we make X amount of. You know, they won't send you say we got it, you know, no no, no. no, no. Mm-hmm. So anyway.
0: Is Checkered Past coming back? i I live in Dallas, so I'm Are they keep, out? Well they, they closed their tasting spot where in they Dallas? used to be. But years ago, like pre Oh
1: no no. They I don't I think they opened something else. Oh well, they did? I'll I don't know. I'd on. have to ask Spencer. They yeah. might have. Cross Timbers has been in in grapevine forever.
0: I visited there and I remember asking about their wine or maybe I saw it on the label that you had made that. And you make fat ass? Or can we not talk about that? Yeah, you can talk about okay. it.
1: <laughs> I told Spencer the other day, and I went by, that said the best peach, one, voted the best peach wine in Texas. And I said, well, there you
0: go. There you have it.
1: Yeah, uh, Gail's a good guy. And, you know, before we got in with Gail, Gail was using, I don't know how many people. And the wines were just not consistent. That's the one thing Tony Soder taught me first, consistency. So... When I do that, you can have my La Harencia four years ago, and you can have it now, and it's pretty darn close to what it was. So we started getting consistency in his product. And, you know, I said, Spencer, you know, it's like, we make this wine, but when we make it, it's going to be the best. That's what we do.
0: How do you stay consistent when every vintage is different?
1: Whenever what, vintage? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you look at the numbers. You know, we always look at our pHs and acidities, and we always have that on record. And, you know, it's like the La Jarencia. Well, we may have to add a little more Reved to that or Syrah or Ketignon uh, to it to get it f- to where it was the following year. So blending wines always a great thing because you can get consistency every year like that. So sometimes it it's always going to have at least eighty percent tempranillo. May have 78%, 79. and then we play with the the additions, the Spanish stuff. Like, well, the the one down there now, I can't remember. It may have Graciano in it. That's the first time we've ever had Graciano. And so, well, how did you? Well, we didn't. We added less Grenache, and we, you know, we made it to where it's like, okay, this is pretty close to what we have.
0: And so people don't care so much about what the blend actually is. They just care about that it tastes, it tastes in a similar, like, similar tannins or acid or what just have like you. Just like the
1: Sangiovese, day in and day out. They'll go, Kim, this is a little lighter, but it's in, the flavors are in us. I you know, well, it was a vintage, mm-hmm. you know. But we try to keep that, you know, close mm-hmm. every year, especially on the – the, the body and the and the mouthfeel and the flavors.
0: Does that get harder with the drought? that I know you said we've had some rain this year, but we're still in a tremendous drought, no, right? No,
1: uh, you know, the, this year the reds are, like, going to be really pretty. Uh, I mean, I think the biggest sugar we had, which was good, was we had one lot of Sangiovese that was 26, but then we had one lot that was 21. So... Spencer said it's all going to blend out to be about thirteen eight. Boom, perfect.
0: <laughs> Is Spencer's last name Igo? Is that how you pronounce yeah, it?
1: Yeah, Igo, he go, we go. Okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think I met him briefly last time.
1: Well, you can come down there and meet him again. Yeah. He's a good, he's a good fella.
0: Um, you mentioned one of your labels and the painting, and I've been admiring Cassandra's labels on her wine. Oh yeah. So I, I do yeah. want to talk about Las Espinas. and I. I Really enjoyed. Have you read her website? Do you know what her website says? About no this? Uh, Let me tell you. Um, so she says As a third generation winemaker, Las Espinas is a return to my roots, a chance to claim the winemaking heritage I'd been gifted and then neglected for too long. It's a privilege to work alongside my father and his assistant winemaker and try my hand at capturing the many facets of West Texas terroir through my own youthful female lens. It doesn't always go hand-in-hand with my father's.
1: It does. Loss of speedness. I gave her that label. Well, let me say this. That was one of my little funky labels. I had a Grenache Blanc. No, a rosé of Grenache. Incredible. From I have, I have two... Acres of Grenache Blanc with Lehe and intermixed in it is red Grenache. <laughs> oh. And uh, so when they bring it to us, I go, why don't y'all just, can we just cut? It's too much money. No, no, no. I said, all right. So some years it's as white as ever, and then some years it's pink. So that year we got it in. It was pink. We made Grenache Rosé. Well, I said, you know, we, we may not make it again. So I put my artist buddy's label on it. The cactus paintings. Robert Rogers, incredible artist. He's the head of our tribe. Anyway, uh, she loved that whole thing. And I said, you know what? After this wine's gone, that's yours. You do whatever. So she goes, hits up Robert, and buys a couple of his painting. Da, da, da. So now she's got like four or five cactus labels, but she only uses, well, she uses three of them on her rosé and on her white And on her red. Now then, are those hers? Well, yes. Because she comes over here, and, you know, she doesn't want our rosé. And I said, well, you got these choices. You can blend this up and do this. We can make this rosé for you. Her first white was a Verdello. And, uh, man, it went quick. And then her reds, she makes the blend up. Dad, do you have any of this? Yeah. Here's what it is. You want to taste it? Yeah. Can we do this? Can I get this? Yeah. And she only does about 650 cases total.
0: Really? I feel like it must be wider spread than that because I see it in my Whole Foods regularly.
1: Well, uh, that was the first. They first bought the whole lot. Okay. now she's not with my wholesaler. Okay. And, I'm, and I said, don't put MacPherson on there. You're going to put your name. Put Dolmeyer on there. That's your... your <laughs>
0: But that must be pretty special though to negotiate all this with her.
1: Oh yeah, it's it can be a, a you know, you know, she like, Ted, can we adjust the sweetness?" I said, "Well, yeah, what do you want to do?" Well, I don't want to adjust it. Okay, then then you know, we don't do it. It's like, you know, up and down, up and down. That's fine. And then we bottle it. And she did that label with uh, her graphic artist in Oakland who we've used before. Mm-hmm. They did the Block Series labels for us. And so she just has a big old wraparound label and wild-looking, uh, you know, screw caps. Fonts
0: and everything. Oh, yeah, and
1: the screw cap. Oh, yeah, the colors. She it's fun. Finds the colors.
0: Are you going to try to lure her back to Texas?
1: I don't know, man. They just bought a house in Napa. and uh, I don't know. She's... She's pretty ingrained with the, the Harlan family right now. Okay. You know, she's up there with them, and they let her, I mean, they just let her go to Chicago to do that $25,000 tasting. She didn't go, she didn't, I think she made it through the first round. Not. She didn't make it after
0: that. Wow.
1: You know, she won that $2,500 in Napa.
0: Is that the video I saw? Yeah. Great. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. I
1: couldn't believe it. People, hey, I go, What? I didn't even know. It's
0: just quite a palate.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she uh, she did not get her test on the service. But that's another subject. So she's yeah. not a master psalm yet.
0: Well, she's young. Yeah, she is. She's got is. time. Um, so you make dry wine, sweet wine, still wine, sparkling wine. Any dessert wine? Yes. Like port or something? I make cherry. Sherry? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I have it grandfathered in, but I haven't, you know, it's not ever been.
0: Oh, interesting. You
1: know, yeah, I've been making sherry for 38 years.
0: Is it for sale or is yes, it?
1: Yes, you can taste it only in the tasting room. Oh, interesting. It's uh, Chenin Blanc.
0: Really? Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. I've been using Chenin Blanc for the last seven years. Wow. It's, it's, not, it's an Oloroso. It's not, you know, floor yeast. Yeah, we just keep it in an old warehouse down here that you can see through. Light comes through it. It gets cold and hot. There's no heating or cooling.
0: Huh. Yeah. I love Chenin Blanc. And One, one of, of my the first... favorite grapes. Yeah. So good. I hope that if Texas narrows down on the number of varieties that well, we I'll plant. Well, I'll always have a Chenin. Oh, good.
1: Believe me. It, and I'll always have a still Chenin.
0: Good. But I also want to talk about your sparkling okay. shannon, which apparently no one can keep on the shelves. No. What's the deal with that?
1: Because my brother makes it <laughs> with our cuvee.
0: Uh-huh. So you truck the juice out to California? Truck the cuvee. The, the wine, yeah.
1: Yeah. He, he tells us when to pick, and that's when we pick it. And then he gets it, and I have to give him part of that. For his Carter Creek thing in Johnson City. Mm -hmm. But he makes it Charmot because he's got the million dollar Charmot equipment. (laughs) My bro my bro has been doing that (laughs) since nineteen eighty five. And he's he's a very good at Method Mm Champagne. He has a Method Champagne line too. Is that right?
0: And And he's in Temecula.
1: He's in Temecula. He learned that with Greg Fowler and and some big shots and he's Pretty, pretty, you know, blessed in making this stuff. He's good.
0: So he is the winemaker for Carter Creek?
1: Yes. Here. Yes. Yeah.
0: You mean he makes it here? Yes. In Lubbock? Yes.
1: Okay. We make all the Carter Creek wines here. Okay.
0: So does he come to town more often than he he does? Oh, yeah, (laughs) he does. Good. Yeah,
1: he's going to be here next month.
0: Good. That's fun. I bet y'all have some fun.
1: We do. So he we got a, we made a Primitivo this year because his owner wanted a Primitivo. Well, we went out and found some Primitivo, and it was pretty nice. Huh. And uh, what else does he like? Oh, Tempranillo Rosé. And we go to Lahey and pick. No, this time we went to Andy Timmons and got Tempranillo, picked it early for the Rosé. So,
0: Interesting. Yep. So you don't own vineyards except Sagmore? That's it. And no interest in owning vineyards? No. Other than that?
1: No, this is my master. Mm-hmm. You cannot serve two masters. You must serve one master. So this is it. Now then, who's going to run that vineyard? Well, I'm going to cross my fingers, and it's, I'm pretty sure he'll do it, is, is uh, Daniel Pate. The guy that worked for Gallo for 10 years Mm -hmm. that asked the same questions. Why would y'all plant so many damn varieties out here? (laughs) I don't know.
0: (laughs) I went to a speech he did, I think it was in the spring, out in Nacogdoches at Sage's Vintage, that custom-crush place out there. And he did a presentation, Daniel, and he showed all the different things planted in Texas. And then he did like a thumbs up or thumbs down or thumbs sideways, like what he likes, what he doesn't like, yeah. and then what the jury's still out.
1: No, we're, I'm in disagreement with some of his stuff. Are you? Yeah.
0: What do you like that he doesn't?
1: Well, he loves Gruner Veltliner. He says that grape does very well here. And I said, well, if I made a wine out of that, my daughter'd cheat me.
0: Because the classic region is just so classic.
1: Right. It's like dead. Don't make a Nebbiolo here. Oh, I would never do that because it's only grown basically in one place in the world. Uh, I just, I know my like, in, in the Gruner, even if I went over there and, and bought a $30 Gruner at you know, Kermit Lynch, they're, they're okay, but it's a whole different thing than here. Yeah. It's, I think it's too hot. And then when I have to acidify like crazy, then it's not it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can pretty much copy that, but I don't want to do that. I'd rather not.
0: To build our reputation on something Well, yeah.
1: I mean, if I took a Gruner Veltliner back, he said, What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Playing? No, I don't think I want to do that, so...
0: I'm sure you taste a lot of your wines. Are you, do you still taste other Texas wines a lot? And I know for a while you were judging. Is that still I still
1: judge. I judged four times last year. Um, yeah, I do occasionally. Uh, they'll leave wines here, and then sometimes we go, what the hell are they doing? Or then go, they go, God, this is incredible. You know, could they do this again?
2: Hmm.
1: That's my thing about this. You know, one and done doesn't get it. You know, if you're going to make 10 wines, they need to be consistent every year, 10 consistent wines that are really good, that people are going to go, oh, that's a good winery. Oh, that's a good winery. Go over here. Go over here. Mm-hmm. That's this is, a, this is a tasting room state, kind of like Temecula, t- except Temecula's... You could put it inside a you know Lubbock type thing. You I mean, know I've I mean? never been there. Well, they've got they grow everything. They grow everything, hmm. and everybody wants to grow this. I'm going to grow Riesling. I'm going to grow Gewurz. I'm going to grow this. I'm going to grow that, and it's a little different climate because it is a little cooler. But it's still like everybody grows, and see the Psalms they always stop at Santa Barbara. You know, like, Temecula. Like oh yeah, those
0: guys. We've heard of it. Not yeah, really we've sure, heard of yeah. it,
1: and and it's my brother hears this a lot, and it's like if they just stuck to like four or five varieties here, that 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 thing would be huge,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they do great Rhone stuff in Italian.
0: So we're sitting here in Lubbock in this old Coca Cola building, and I think there are some great places to visit and experience texas wine and lubbock and the surrounding areas just the high plains generally but tourism isn't exactly as huge of a thing here as it might be mm-hmm. at your other tasting room down at
1: fredericksburg, fredericksburg. Yeah. um
0: what, what do you think is the future for wine tourism in this area
1: well i must say that uh you know that tasting room downstairs i it's kind of small it's not that big and i never thought that it would be like you know We can't ever fill that up. We fill it up all the time now. They have to go out here to the Sagmore house or they have to go on the patio or they, you know, and it's, I never thought we'd do that. So you could say, well, we didn't plan ahead. Well, I never thought they'd do it. And, you know, we go, and you go down here to the burg down there and, you know, we added on to to 4.0 there and made it bigger, which probably because I worked down there, let's see, three or four weeks ago, you know, on a Friday and Saturday, and that thing was full. And I go, well, I could see that, but uh, you know, then everybody tells me, "Gosh, we're struggling. We are struggling down here." I go, what do you mean? I said, "God, I bet there were 150 people here today." Now, all during the week, it's, it's dead. And they said, uh, they, "Oh, Dave said it was probably down like 30 percent." I don't know. Some people say it's more than. that. I don't know. Maybe it was the heat. A lot of people are blaming the heat Yeah. that people didn't come out. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, I was here recently on a game day Saturday, several hours before kickoff, and your tasting, the whole event space was hopping because the actual tasting room was closed. Closed, yeah. But it was full in there, and I think that's a bigger space than your tasting room. Yes,
1: yeah, because of the air conditioner. yeah, yep.
0: So that's good. Yep. Well, any any regrets about not putting a McPherson tasting room in Fredericksburg on your own, or is that just too much of a hassle?
1: Well, not enough money. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I went with these guys. They came to me, and, I mean, old Pat Brennan, he's a great guy, and he, he came to me and he said, "Can we want to do this. Now, so, Pat, I'll get after it, because me you and know, got him the money, man. I <laughs> said, everything I've got you this place. You know, and I we ended up coming up with some money, but it wasn't like those guys. I mean, I don't own a big chunk of it like they do, but uh, uh, they just wanted our wines in there, and it's turned out really good. Yeah, that's nice. Um, I mean, for the most part, I mean, f- about five years, though, Pat was going, gosh, Kim, I don't know if we're going to make it. Four or five years, and it, it boom, and then it hit. We've been there 12 years now. Wow. And it's, uh, it's really tough paid off Hmm.
0: okay i have i think jason Santani said a quote about you one time he said that you have a lot of opinions but they're loosely held (laughs) (laughs) so maybe, maybe that means you're you're willing to change your mind on things or just you speak your mind i don't know but i have some kind of hot topics in texas wine that i'm going to mention and then you tell me what you want to talk about um so these are some hot topics New AVAs popping up all over the place, or new AVA proposals, uh, wineries for sale, and succession planning. Um, Non-Texas wineries moving into the state, and the D word, Dicamba.
1: Oh. Well, none of those really push a hot button for me. I mean, uh, what was the first one?
0: The AVAs. I don't New AVAs.
1: No, that doesn't.
0: You label vineyard-specific, do you use county ever, or you're just mainly High Plains high or plains, vineyard?
1: High Plains, mm-hmm. AVA, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, on the Block Series, we do vineyards.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we'll do vineyards occasionally on other stuff. But you know, doing an AVA, you can do whatever you need to do. I mean, they, you got to have a lot of stuff to do an AVA. Yeah. I mean, my dad did this up here, and it took a bunch of people and work to the government that it's different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah I'm going to get busy selling wine.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you are text- Wineries
1: for sale? Uh, wineries are sold, I mean, we hear all these rumors that, you know, things are for sale and, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, some people get tired of it. Some people thought that money was going to be real big, and it's not. It's uh, it's a whole lot different. And they're putting out a lot of money. Maybe they put put out a lot of money for a piece of land and a building down there, and all of a sudden, you know, to put in a winery? Whew. I mean, I think I'd have somebody else make my wines with me there and do that, I don't know. It's just
0: one more expense, though.
1: Yeah, it is. It is one more expense. But to put in tanks and a bottling line and do all this stuff or get your wines bottled, that's not easy either. Right. Excuse me. I'm just saying that, man, uh, I don't want want to get in the business of making everybody's wines. I do not want to do that. But, uh, yeah, I know that it's a tough thing
0: are you encouraged about the the industry's next 10-15 years i mean do you, i know you have a lot of winemakers that learn under you and have gone on throughout the state and i'm guessing you see a lot of texas tech enology students through here at least i hope they have a chance to learn from you but i mean are we in in good shape for the future
1: you know i'm not i'm not real I'm not, like, ecstatic and happy because I just, you know, there's another group that just put in a bunch of acreage up here, and their plan is to sell the fruit real cheap and make bulk wine and do this, and, and it may work. Some of the guys are out of California, is what I've heard. I don't know, but I'm just saying that, you know, when I get growers discouraged up here, I don't like to see that. Uh, we, need, we need better wines for distribution and better pricing. You can keep your tasting rooms and do all that, but, you know, the tasting room is great for me, and I'm not going to throw rocks at it, but the guy in Texarkana is not going to go down to Fredericksburg and buy my wine or come out here and buy it. i got to get it to him. And the guy in El Paso is not going to do that either. And if I'm going to be statewide, i got to have distribution. And, you know, distribution, it is a, you know, problematic. And, but if you make good wines, it turns out real well. I can't do restaurants on my own. It would be impossible for me to be in all the restaurants I'm in to self-distribute that. And you got to have a wholesaler because Texas is a strong three-tier state. Um, you know, I'm going to say this is that coming up is this, there's a bill, it didn't go through this year, but it will this year about the G permit. And I keep warning people that the abuse of the G permit is going to be bad.
0: Explain what that means.
1: Well, it's like I have a winery permit, but I don't have a winery and I don't make any wine, but I sell a lot of wine and other stuff out of there. So you're basically a little retailer, and they look—they're looking at that, <laughs> and just that's just a cautionary tale, you know, of something that's up there. That you—you you better make wine, or you better do. I mean, you could even say that at four point oh. Well, they looked at that, like with well, three wineries on that, and that's just another big thing for their wines. Like that's. But when you have another little winery and you've got I don't know, five or six other wineries coming out of there and they're looking at all things. And I think that we we need to kind of think about that. So uh
0: I've heard some people suggest that maybe that's a way that the Texas wineries can we could make it a little harder for non Texas wineries to Well come into and the we state. have
1: some of those. And the one you're talking about in Fredericksburg down there, they've got one in Temecula. They bought out a winery. And uh, they're not going to make wine. All that is there is for them to collect. It's a small retail shop. Mm -hmm. That's all they have for their wines only. And it's for gathering uh, wine club members. I mean, they John and I went over the one in Temecula. (laughs) Basically, that's. They gutted that one. I mean, they had one tank in there. They're going to just keep one tank in there. Go. What do you got? No, we're not going to make it one. It's for a show. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's funny. On the way here, I was reading Texas Monthly, and this yes. is the back. And this is where I showed him this month's Texas Monthly magazine that has a full-page back cover advertisement by Halter Ranch. That's who you're talking about, right?
1: <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yep. So there they and are. That's, uh, see that right there. But see, they're only, they're a little retail shop on their own. Yeah. But are they a winery? See, I don't know if they have a G permit. They probably don't even have that. I don't yeah, know. I don't
0: know. Interesting.
1: You know, I hear all these stories from distributors about, you know, there's a lot of wineries that want to be picked up. They taste the wines, they don't, can't do it. I said, we can't sell this. We can't sell it at this price or we can't you know so it's like so I don't know you know there's a two-edged sword there you gotta I want to make money but then again I have to you know I have to do do it right you know Warren Buffett's always he was that guy always for the long haul and that's what I think I've, I've been doing it's just the long haul you know I don't make you know, I get guys, You want to be selling that stuff for forty dollars a bottle? Mm, no, I'm moving it pretty good at sixteen, and the growers are growing grapes. And you know, it's it's you know when it doesn't move, these guys are going to quit growing grapes. Yeah, there's no home. Why bother? I mean, Jerry left a hundred tons on the ground this year. He cut it off. He had to, he had to harvest it so he could get the weight from it for his – not. there's no insurance on that. But that went against his other stuff that he had insurance on. There's no insurance on I didn't sell my grapes, so I had to cut them off. No.
0: And I heard at one point that the reason the growers started getting into the business of having their own label is because of situations like that.
1: Yes. And then they realized we shouldn't have done that. I'm better at growing grapes than making wine,
0: and running a tasting room and all the other things. Okay, so that it here's takes. my other
1: idea. I'm like Dave Finney. He's an idea <laughs> guy, man. That guy. He's his podcast was really good. Uh, I would like to have a large, I mean, not a large, but a co-op winery. Okay, and I would like to get all these drawers on the same page. Listen. Foremost, you gotta try to sell your fruit to wineries. Okay. I'm not we're not here to buy your fruit, because we're not gonna buy your fruit. Okay, you're gonna bring it in and we're gonna pay you at some point if we do ever do well. But you gotta go out and sell it first. Now then like this year. I got forty tons, I got twenty tons, I got five tons. Okay, bring it in. And you know, I've talked to the guys at H E B about if I could get H E B. And they'd make, they'd make some money on this deal because they're going to have to get behind it. To be a partner in this Texas wine thing, and the first thing said, who's making the wine? Are you making the wine? I'm going to be honest. Yes. Okay. They're going to be in behind it. And all this excess fruit goes into a thing. It's a blend. And we have a red blend uh, I don't know how much white you'd have you may have a little bit of white but you'd have some roses and it'd be like you know 12.99 on the shelf cool looking labels and you know well now you're competing against everybody well are we i don't know i mean I'd say I'm on the shelf there too but these are all going to have to be Mm-hmm. blends or something and in some years it's like well kim we may not have any access that's great
0: yeah <laughs> that's beautiful and would you keg it and let people do growlers so that they, they could refill well
1: I, the... I i think that'd be that'd be a part of it too drive over here and you know
0: just a daily drinker kind of yeah thing. yeah
1: i mean i'm just saying that if we could help these growers but i don't you know well i'm going to plant some grapes and maybe i'll get a home no we got to take care of what we got now, and then like it's like Neil Newsom said well Kim what if there's no grapes that's great Then the following year what if we have a thousand tons okay we I don't know it's just a, a co-op but how would we I've talked to this this woman I know that does a lot of this stuff she goes there's a lot of grant money do this you could do this you get this and you could build a facility and it's it doesn't have to be pretty mm-hmm. Just has to be functional, and you could take all this fruit and make red wine out of it. And I, I, I may be dreaming, probably.
0: Well, it's, it's an interesting idea for sure. Well,
1: I just don't want these guys getting discouraged because at one time there wasn't enough fruit, and it was, you know, I'll pay you 2,000 more ton than that guy. No, no, no. You go, dang, you know, when it gets so high, I can't put it on the shelf. You know?
0: Are the growers getting fair pricing for their grapes or what have grape prices done lately?
1: Uh it depends on the grower and all that, but it's it's inched up just because of, you know, price increases on everything. Um uh, I would say the average right now is probably 18 to 22 which is not bad, uh, 18 is good, 16 is better, you know. You say 18, when I was at Davis, it always translated to 1,800 a ton, $18 a bottle, rule of thumb. I don't, I don't know who came up with that, so you go look at that.
0: Sixteen is better for you.
1: Well, yeah. Not better for the grower. Grower. Well, <laughs> no, but but if he's hanging fruit, yeah. Uh, you know, Leahy's got a plan where they want to make, like, they want to make $1,500 an acre or $2,000. I can't remember. And if it takes one ton or if it takes three tons. I don't know. I can't remember their growing thing, but it was kind of pre- pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Instead of just hanging a bunch of fruit. Right. No.
0: You just buy what comes off that block, and then the winemaker can say how much they yes. want to hang or right. harvest, mm-hmm. green harvest, etc.
1: But we have enough problems out here with hail and freeze and frost and everything else is that these guys, like, hell, I tried to grow grapes. Shit, I couldn't find a home. I couldn't do this. Like, I like, I don't want to do that. And there's some big wineries that rely on this fruit up here, and there need to be some big growers.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you going to be at Grape Camp next month? Do you do that?
1: I wasn't invited. Oh, who invites you?
0: I don't know. I just saw the ad. I'm not going. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a twig of production. Right?
1: I don't ever get to see that. Yeah. I don't no. know what I'd do there.
0: Well, I don't either. That's why well, I'm not going. It looked very technical in terms of growing. And well, things,
1: they're gonna. But... I think they're gonna bring up that legislation I was talking okay. about. They're gonna. The TABC is mm-hmm. gonna be there.
0: Okay. Well, uh, hopefully they can get their act together.
1: Well, I don't know what I don't know what's gonna happen, but we're not on the same. We're all on the same page, sort of, but not. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, I don't want to call you elder, but as our elder spokesperson, I hope that some of your ideas come to fruition and that we move the industry forward in a positive direction.
1: I do too. Because, you know, we I really don't have a job. And I always tell Spencer, we make fun. <laughs> so that's the deal with us.
0: Well, good. Fund's, fund's important. People need more of that in their life.
1: Yep, they do.
0: Well, is there any question that That I haven't asked you or maybe nobody's ever asked you that you think needs to be asked.
1: Who's going to take over this winery here? Don't know yet. I'm working on that though. Spencer's going to be part of it though. Good. That goes without saying. Uh, My daughters? I don't know. I just don't know. Cassie has a degree from Davis in winemaking but she just loves hospitality. And my other daughter down there, she loves what she's doing and she likes to drink wine, but I don't know, but she's worked here. I mean, she she got down and shoveled out tanks and everything. She knows what it is like. And, you know, her fiance, he's kind of a wine geek too. I got wine geek, I have wine geek son-in-laws. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, Spencer may have a, Part, uh, we'll have a part of this, maybe be running it for him. I have no idea, but we're going the label's going to continue on excellent so and uh, Spencer's going to be involved somehow some way
0: Good deal we'll have to get him on the podcast next.
1: yep yeah he he's i'm the bad cop, and he's the good cop. <laughs>
0: Well, it sounds like a good, good Well,
1: it is, but it works out good for all of us because it, you know, he's like I said, he he talks to all the the growers and he arranges everything and then he comes to me and says, "We're going to do this or can we do this? Or, do whatever we need to do." So, but he's learned the winemaking what I what, what we need to do and what we like and he's you know what I've done over these years, and he's kept it very consistent. And uh, you know, it's good. Good, he's good at it.
0: Well, I do have one last question that I forgot. You're twice nominated for the James Beard Award for Best Wine, Beer, or Spirit Producer. Do awards like that mean a lot to you?
1: They do for me. But I think eight people in Lubbock knew what the James Beard Award was. <laughs> I had a few phone calls, but you know that I'll tell you what that does is when I go back east, and they know I make I'm made wine for Gallo. I'm two times Jane Beard semifinalist. Da 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 da. It makes us look like we're not a bunch of hay seeds. And then they try the wines, and they go, "My gosh!" You know, I had a lady here the other day. She's from Georgia. and They just came back from DC. And she goes, you know, we, we had your wine at one of Jose Andreas' restaurants. And I go, it was Oya Mail, wasn't it? She was, and the guy, her, her son, she goes, yeah, yeah. And I said, I've been on that list for about f- four or five years now, by the glass and by the bottle. Wow. See, that's, that's, see right there? It's not about me. That's Texas Chilling Block. Huge, huge. If, if I can do it, why can't y'all all do it? That's why I, I don't get it. It's 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 not that hard. So, yeah. so that's a, that's almost that's better than ten gold medals for me.
0: Yeah, I can see that actually. Yeah. Well, cheers to all that you are doing and have done.
1: Well, thank you. I'm, you know, I'm going to get a nasty phone call, but don't go. Gonna... What? <laughs> no, I'd laugh. Guys know me by now. If they don't know me by now, then, you know, it's like my old buddy Don Galeano out in California. He was a he's an icon out there. He, just said, he had his card and said, I really don't get shit. And he didn't. And he, you know one thing that he taught my brother and I? The biggest thing he taught us, don't fall in love with it. Jax, you boys don't fall in love with it, and we don't.
0: Because then you're making decisions for the wrong reasons?
1: That's right. I'm, I'm, I love this one. And nobody else likes it, so I fell in love with it. No. Move it. Move it. He's right.
0: I appreciate your time.
1: Oh, no, thank you. We're going to go in there and try that Treveon. I, I want you to try it. It's <laughs> All beautiful.
0: Right. All right. Thanks, Kim. I've linked to Doug Schaefer's podcast featuring Kim in case you're ready to hear more from him. Stay tuned for Demerits and Gold Stars. This is the time in the podcast when I ask you to do something for me. And there are a couple of things that you can do for me today that help me to grow the podcast. One is to share the pod with others. You can do that on social media by tagging at Texas Wine Pod in your stories and posts. You can also review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and leave a few remarks. Thanks to listener O Crush who wrote... I found this podcast while studying for my first WSET Level 1. I searched through many podcasts, and Shelly's format is exactly my style. It's full of information you can use, plus wonderful stories from winery owners and the lessons they've learned. I even learned about local events as well as how to support Texas wines, which is my favorite subject to talk about. You can also go to my website to sign up for my occasional newsletter. That's where I'll communicate with you about my recent wine events and fun finds and wine and travel. And finally, if you found value from this podcast, I invite you to consider supporting it with a donation. You can do that by visiting thisistexaswine.com and then you click support the podcast. I also want to remind you that there are 71 other episodes of This is Texas Wine, and they are all available for your listening pleasure. The news might be a bit out of date, but the interviews are generally timeless. Thanks, y'all. Now it's time for our gold stars, a huge gold star to Elizabeth Rodriguez, who's retiring after 18 years at Cabernet Grill in Fredericksburg. As the wine director at Cabernet Grill, Elizabeth curated a 100% Texas wine list, the largest Texas wine list in the nation. She and chef owner Russ Burtwell got a tremendous amount of positive press for the wine and the food at Cabernet Grill. And Elizabeth says she's learned, she's grown so much, and met many wonderful people that she's made lifelong friends I'm not sure what Elizabeth has planned for her next chapter, but I sure hope it involves helping other restaurants add Texas wines to their wine lists. Congratulations on all your accomplishments, Elizabeth. And another gold star goes to New York-based wine educator and podcaster Rose Thomas Bannister. She created the podcast Moto de Berry to highlight local drinks and local sayings. Well, Texas wine's a local drink, right? I was a guest on her podcast last month, and interestingly enough, Rose Thomas somehow stumbled on This Is Texas Wine podcast and decided to visit Texas. A good bit of the podcast focuses on content about Italy, and in fact, she also releases podcasts in Italian. But this episode that I was on is all about Texas. I'm not used to being the one answering questions, but Rose Thomas did a great job with the interview. And the social media from her trip to Texas is really fun, too. It looks like she had a blast with a lot of Texas winemakers. So follow her on Instagram at MotoDeBerry, and I'll link to the podcast in the show notes. And now for a demerit. The Houston Rockets recently made a partnership with Sonoma County Wine Growers. This partnership will highlight Sonoma County to all the Rockets fans at each of their games during the season, as well as to hundreds of thousands of other Texans who visit the Toyota Center throughout the year for concerts, sporting events, and other high-profile shows and gatherings. The Houston Rockets are owned by the same person who owns the Landry's portfolio of restaurants. Carissa Cruz, president and CEO of the Sonoma County Wine Growers, states, Texas has been a great market for Sonoma County wines, and the Houston Rockets partnership will only strengthen that relationship with wine lovers throughout the greater Houston area. Well, that's great, and I also love a number of wines from Sonoma County, but I do have to wonder what this means for getting any Texas wines at the Toyota Center. And I would love it if one of the professional sports teams in Texas showed an interest in Texas wine. Well, that's it for this episode. I'll be back in two weeks with an interview with Dr. Amit Dingra. He's the department head and professor in the Department of Horticultural Sciences at Texas A&M University. Until then, you can get in touch, send your feedback, questions, or ideas for future episodes. I'm at TexasWinePod at gmail.com. And finally, thanks to Texas Wine Lover for the promotional assistance. Check out TXWineLover.com and download the Texas Wine Lover app. It's free and will help you plan your next trip to a Texas winery. Hope to see you at Wine Jam or at the Roadshow. Thanks for listening. Cheers, y'all.